Hi, this is Bron Burton, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. This is Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. Good morning to you out there. My name's Bron Burton. And I'm Fum. Good morning, everyone. Uh, we're going to be catching up with Neil Blake, um, alter ego of Captain Trash, but as Neil Blake, our baykeeper, he's going to be talking about a brand new project that the Eco Centre are running called Bayside Data Pioneers. Uh, they are partnering with community groups all around Port Phillip Bay to record sand surface profiles, coastal plants, mollusks, all sorts of things at various sites around the bay. Yeah, very exciting. Exciting, um, just to kind of keep a keep a finger on the pulse of what's happening with the coast in the face of climate change. Yeah, and making those connections with all of those, you know, I say all of those people who are listening are part of our wonderful community groups. We know you're out there. Some of you even subscribed. <laughs> Always great to hear <laughs> and from you. And you should, and you, as you rightly should. Uh, Elodie Compress is joining us too, Farm. Yeah, she will be. Uh, the spider crabs have made it onto Zooniverse, and she'll be updating us all about that. We are then going to be speaking with Ben Francis Shelley. What he doesn't know about Melbourne's fossils isn't worth knowing from. <laughs> it sure isn't. We haven't caught up with Ben for a while. I'm really looking forward to this. And, yeah, he's he's got a great talk coming up, but um, some recent discoveries as well. Yeah, yeah. So he found a, another megalodon tooth in a quarry last week, so we'll be catching up about that. And he's got some uh, really exciting talks coming up in different places that you, uh, that you can join. Yeah, fascinating history, particularly to the – um, the eastern side of Port Phillip Bay and particularly around the Bayside area, which is just so rich with fossil record. Yeah, where it's, it's pretty amazing. It is. So we've talked a bit about this over the years, but uh, in particular that the sort of stuff that Ben is doing is just so, so important and giving us a glimpse back to what life was like there millions of years ago. So really looking forward to speaking with Ben. Then we are jumping across to Perth to speak with Caitlin O'Day. She's from Edith Cowan University uh, about her research into seagrass ecosystems, but the connection between seagrasses and swans. Don't think we've ever talked about swans before. On no, Radio I don't Marinara. think so either. We, we have heaps though, because I see them, because they, they all live in Albert Park, right, yes. here in Melbourne, and I see them grazing on the seagrass in St Kilda Harbour on yeah. the regular. So I'll be very interesting and to... And of course uh, in Swan Bay down in Queenscliff. Yeah. Um, tend to think of swans as being freshwater animals, but not so. They very much get into the estuarine ecosystems and habitats and so on. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. So that's our show. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Hello, funny lady Judith Lucy here. And when I want to find out about all things wet and salty... Mmm, saucy. I tune in to Radio Marinara every Sunday morning at 9am on 102.7, 3RRR. Oh, yes, she does. (laughs) She can be a bushy hydroid too. (laughs) All right, without further ado, Neil Blake, our own beekeeper. Thank you so much, Neil, and uh, good morning. Good morning to you, Bron. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. We're talking about, uh, we mentioned at the start of the program, um, EcoCenter's brand new project, Bayside Data Pioneers. What's this one all about, Neil? Well, actually, it's Baywide, uh, oh. Ron. So, um, so, yeah, 
<laughs> Don't know where I got that from. Yep, that's that's my bad. All right, Bay Wide Data Pioneers. Yeah, so we're actually uh, about going to be collaborating with uh, uh, five groups, around, uh, regional groups around the Bay to um, do some dune and beach profiling as well as uh, recording uh, plant species that are occurring at different levels on the dunes. Uh, so it's, it's just a way of getting together to um, start talking a little bit more about climate change and you know what we're going to need to do to, to respond to it, but also gathering some local information, which is going to be important to inform our future strategies on how to manage the coast. Yeah, so it's a, a, and one important thing, aspect of it is that there's at the moment a number of different ways of recording conditions on beaches. And uh, so we're going to be just sort of having a chat about uh, how, which are the most effective or, you know, and possibly tweaking the way that uh, different groups do stuff. I'm quite happy to say that, you know, my water level method may be, uh, it's a bit rudimentary, but to my opinion it works, but there may be better better ways of going about it. And if so, I'd love to learn about it, you know. So that's that, that's what we hope to do is just start more of a conversation where you can actually improve the data outputs that, come, that community can come up with and also, uh, you know, give us a, a better understanding of what's actually happening and amplify the community voice for advocacy to response to climate change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Neil, I was wondering, because you're doing beach profile, dune profiling, and then uh, vegetation surveys, how do the mollusks fit in there? Oh, well, really, essentially, I guess on, in a coastal area, there's two. You've got your terrestrial habitats, and that's the, you know, the dune area, and then there's the intertidal habitats too. That, and the, the, uh, the, the dunes... There's, an, there's a constant exchange of sand between uh, the dunes and back into the intertidal and it gets pushed back again, you know. So they are, in a sense, one sort of uh, uh, joint habitat. And so just uh, getting a sense of what um, mollusks are living in the sandy sediments, is it's a great opportunity because there hasn't really been that much uh, study on that particular group of animals, particularly in the bay. Are there any particular mollusks that you're wanting to look at, Neil? Oh, well, um, generally the, um, uh, the, the, there's a group of bivalves, I suppose, like the elongated wedge shells. Uh, uh, and one of the reasons we're interested in them is because that family um, of um, mollusks really is uh, quite vulnerable to northern Pacific sea stars. You know, so it sort of ties into that study on uh, the, the impacts of pest species as well. So, yeah, the, bi- the bivalves in particular. Uh, but there's another um, little snail, which is called the fragile air breather, which I discovered recently in, in Western St Kilda, uh, which it lives uh, really in the upper intertidal in um in, in, in very large colonies but in localised areas in estuarine situations. Oh, that's interesting because mm. that's a, that must be a, a pretty hardy mollusk then living in those kinds of conditions. Yeah, apparently they hold their breath so <laughs> when, they, when the tide comes <laughs> in. So they're pretty hardy. All right. But uh, one of the interesting things about them though is they potentially could be an important um, food source for waders. So for migratory waders, you know, so the, the local populations, if they're impacted by their habitats being displaced by climate change, then, uh, you know, that's obviously going to have an impact on the waders as well. 
Should we give a shout out to the partner groups who've already signed up? Yeah, so there's a Hobson's Bay Wetland Centre, uh, Frankston Beach Association, uh, Earthcare St Kilda, uh, and the um, Berg, the Balcom Estuary uh, Research Group, and a Ballerin Catchment Network. Fantastic. We're really going all around the bay. Yeah. Look at that representation. Yeah, there's so many fantastic groups doing wonderful things out there, you know, and it's great if we can all work together and, uh, as I say, amplify the the community voice for positive things. Yeah, and have everyone working together on a shared project. It's really, really great. How long will this be running for, Neil? Uh, Well, essentially it'll just be a 12-month thing. It's part of the Parks Victoria Innovation Fund um, funding stream. Uh, and, yeah, so we'll be do- probably doing three seasonal surveys across that 12-month period at each, each location. So we'll get uh, see the seasonal variability that's occurring. And also a big important part of it is engaging with traditional owners as well and getting their perspective on, uh, you know, what's happening with the coast too. And, Neil, how can people get involved if they want to join one of your uh, surveys? Uh, well, what we're hoping to do is that um, the people, uh, the, the local groups will promote to their network. So it'll be through their normal sort of promotional channels rather than people going to the Echo Centre, for example, uh, because obviously uh, people are more likely to attend if they're coming from that local region anyway. So it's yeah, pl- putting more emphasis on the, on the local groups and uh, drawing more attention to the things they're doing too. Fantastic, and uh, they might get some more members out of it, hopefully, as well. Mm. Oh, you would hope so, yes. Yeah, 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 um, fantastic. Um, Neil, next time you're on the program, it'd be really great to catch up with some of these uh, groups who are taking part in this, um, and let's follow this one through over the next 12 months because it's really fantastic work that you're doing. Um, if people want more information, what's the best thing they can do? A better oh, if they want to sign up. If they want more information at this stage, it's really just um, to uh, sign up to the Echo Centre newsletter. So they can just go online to echocentre.com to, to, to do that. Uh, and, yeah, so that's uh, – or, or they can email baykeeper at echocentre.com. That's my email address. I'd be happy to respond. Excellent. We'll put those links on our Facebook page, Usual Story. If you just go to the promotion for today's program, you'll see a photo. Click on the photo and that'll take you to the link. So thanks, Neil. Awesome to catch up with you as always. Thank you. Wonderful to be here. We'll see you in a few weeks and uh, and find out more about uh, Bay-wide data pioneers, not Bayside. I will correct that <laughs> in my notes as well. <laughs> thanks, Neil. Yeah. Catch you soon. Enjoy. Bye, Dad. Thanks. Bye now. Uh, yeah, Neil Blake, our baykeeper, doing yeah. wonderful work. Exciting stuff. Get yourself to the beach. Yeah. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. We're going to play a track now. And uh, no, we're not. We're going to speak with Elodie Campras. How neglectful of me. She's waiting <laughs> for us on the phone. Good morning, Elodie. How are you doing? Good morning, Sam. I'm well. How are you? Yeah, well, well, thank you. Um, yeah, we were talking at the start of the program about uh, spider crabs and how we're going to be following some of the research that is that is that has evolved from the 2022 spider crab season and um, some developments this week. 
Yeah, so um, finally we launched um, a new component of Spider Club Watch. So that relies on um, the Zooniverse platform. So it's a citizen science platform. And, um, you know, we, we deployed time-lapse cameras in the Bay during Spider Club season this year, thanks to uh, funding from Coast Care Victoria. And so we collected a lot of images that are now online for everyone to check out and help us analyse. Um, so that's the Project Spider Club Watch on Zooniverse, and people can find them by um, yeah Googling Spider Club Watch Zooniverse pretty much. So, Elodie, are they images of the aggregation or just like random spider crabs walking around the, uh, the bay in front of the camera or, or predators? What, what will people be expecting to see? Yeah, so there's images of everything. <laughs> so there's images with spider crabs, there's images with spider crabs and predators, but there's also images at sites where um, spider crab activity was quite low, uh, but we still to gain a baseline of what's there uh, when the spider crabs aren't there, we're still interested in these images being analysed. So you might see, you know, other fish, other crustaceans, other, you know, sea scrubs, things like that. So, yeah, we're interested in people looking at the images and telling us if they are, if they aren't spider crabs and what else is there. And we're also um, looking at human activities. So if people see any you know, divers or snorkelers or fishing gear in the images, they can label that as well. That's pretty amazing. And uh, what are you, what are you hoping to, um, to find out of, out of this universe project? Yeah. So um, we have, we have three different workflows or series of tasks. So one's focus on spider crab and that one is to um, pretty much kind of understand how long the spider crabs stick around, so how long they're seen on the on the images that have been taken. Um, also, um, we have a um, workflow on other marine life, so that helps us determine what marine life is around when spider crabs are there, but also when they are not there. So what's the difference between when they're there or not? Uh, what kind of predator are attracted when they're there? But also, you know, what other, you know, we know that sea stars, for example, might, you know, munch on the remains of spider crabs. So, you know, we, we want to um, see the difference there between when spider crabs are there and are not there. And then, um, yeah, also there are questions about human activities. So that's the third series of tasks or third workflow, and that helps us um, know how people interact with the spider crabs. Amazing, amazing stuff, Elodie. So even if you can't make it to the beach, if you live too far away, you can still get involved in this amazing citizen science project and uh, and help spider crab research evolve. So that's really exciting. Elodie, thank you so much for this super fast update. Um, I can't wait to have you on the show again and talk a little bit more about the outcomes of the project. Um, yeah, Thanks. keep us posted. Yeah, and if people go to the research part and right at the bottom, there's a link to sign up to the newsletter. So we do send research updates every now and then to let people know what's happening so people can sign up to that as well. Wonderful. And we'll uh, we'll put a link uh, to the Zooniverse project uh, on the Facebook page as well so people can find you. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Elodie Compress from Deakin University, who is studying all things spider crab. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. 
To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. Hey, welcoming back to Triple R, back to Radio Marinara. It's been some time. Ben, Francis, Shelley. Hello. Thank you, Bron. How are things? Hi. Yeah, pretty good. How are you? Hi, Farm. Yeah, I'm very good at the moment. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm very excited to talk. As you both know, I love talking so much. <laughs> I actually had to text Ben and saying, like, we're a little bit behind. Let's do a quick one. But uh, look, you've got so many amazing things to talk about, I'm sure, Ben. Um, so as, as, as people know already, you are the fossil expert of Bayside Fossils. And of course, you know, everybody's favorite paleontologist. Um, well, now, they, I better be, to be honest. <laughs> yes, you're ours, Ben. Yes, you're ours. Nobody else's. Um, and uh, we 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 had we had a chat last week, and um, and you found a tooth in a quarry, and I have so many questions. Yeah. Yes, I did, as a matter of fact, and it's about 17 million years of age. I won't give the location of the quarry itself. It's just about 40 minutes outside of Melbourne, but uh, walking through there, we found quite a few uh, fossil remains, and one of them was the megalodon, just a few fragments of their teeth. <laughs> and uh, if anyone has seen our Facebook page, um, there's a really great photo of Ben on the bay in his suit with a megalodon in the background. <laughs> Amazing shot. Amazing shot. I know. It's like a very rare in a half million years in order to take that shot as well. So for all your listeners, and if you're not aware, the Megalodon was the biggest shark that ever existed. We're talking something the size of a modern humpback whale, 50 metric tons, mouth so large it could swallow you whole, be a lot of blood in the ocean a long time ago, I can tell you now, if the Megalodon was still around. I would not be diving in that time. No, thanks. No, it'd be horrific. <laughs> and so what does um, – so – Finding this kind of stuff in a quarry, Ben, because we usually we usually hear you finding things in the water, sort of like on the coast. Um, yeah. What is this thing about quarries? Like, how how deep does it go? Are they buried under there? Yeah, so the quarry itself is uh, basically like the size of the CBD of Melbourne and they're oh, extracting wow. huge amounts of lime and in the process they're also finding these fossils. There's some really intriguing fossils. I mean, it wasn't just the megalodon teeth that, we've, that we were finding. It was the ancestor of the great white as well. Oh, wow. And I found this gorgeous, bizarre, long uh, about the size of your finger. I couldn't put my finger on it when I first found it because it was covered in limestone. But uh, as I went to go clean it up a little bit, I noticed it had a, a similarity with a sawfish rostral tooth, probably of the large tooth uh, sawfish pristus. And it could be one of the oldest examples of it anywhere on the continent as well. What's a rostral tooth, Ben? So, do you know the spines that come out of the nose of a sawfish? Oh, yeah. It, it yeah, looks yeah. like a chainsaw, right? It's a fish that looks yeah. like a chainsaw. Ah. That's exactly right. So I think that might be one of the oldest in Australia, which would be very cool if it is. Wow. What? How do you – you just come up with all these, like, new things every time. It's amazing. There's so much to find. That's the amazing thing. Yeah. The entire coastline of Victoria, it's just chock-a-block filled with fossils. You just have to know where to look. Now, this tooth's really significant, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. This tooth will be uh, donated to the uh, State Collection of Museums Victoria where we can go on and study it in perpetuity. Yeah, amazing. Incredible. Let's talk about the talk you've got coming up. Oh, so many talks, Bron. It's unbelievable <laughs> how many I've got. They're all lined up in a row as well. I may as well get a bowling pin and knock them all down one after the other. <laughs> I've got a really exciting one that's actually planned uh, for September 20th 
And uh, it's called The Demise of the Australian Megafauna. It's an online talk with the Port Phillip Eco Centre via Zoom. And basically, we're going to be understanding what Australia was like 50 to 45,000 years ago, how it was once joined up in this giant supercontinent known as Sahul with Papua New Guinea and Tasmania, the characters of a very Shakespearean play that would go on to die, including the largest marsupial that's ever lived, Diprotodonto Payton. Think of something the size of a hippo, but was something that superficially looked like a wombat. Demon ducks of doom, echidnas the size of hey, sheep. It's wait. everything you can possibly imagine. Can we go back to the demon ducks of yeah, doom? Yeah, I was going to say, what? Really? So they're large birds known as dromonithids, and what was really interesting about them, they were probably some of the largest birds that ever existed, wow. weighing in excess of about half a metric ton. Wow. Uh, yeah, so they, they could eat huge. you easily. I want to see an animation like a, a, like a Marvel but, well, movie or something about the ben, demon I think ducks of doom. I think there's also a photo of you with a demon duck of doom, isn't there? I, I <laughs> there remember is. seeing yeah, one yeah. on the you internet. You can absolutely go and see it if you hey, go scroll through my socials. So I was going to say that if you're interested in knowing where to find this stuff, you can you can locate me on my social media stuff on Instagram in particular. If you look up a underscore fools underscore experiment, <laughs> you can go you know scrolling. Basically, just go and. Have a look through my uh, profile and you'll eventually be able to find something. There. One day I will come in the time machine with you and visit those areas because the <laughs> photos that you bring back are amazing. Megalodons, demon ducks of doom, incredible. They're very, very fun. What's but our- that, that's, that's not the only one though. Oh, so many events, guys. It's incredible. So <laughs> the second one, I, I also work for the city of Whittlesea as a conservation officer and I get this incredible job to spruik science community within the municipality and we've got an awesome event planned up and I just want to kind of preface this by saying I bore witness to another very prehistoric event the other day when a collared sparrowhawk in the middle of suburbia took out a pigeon right in front of me across wow. the road and, nice. and it was brutal these voluminous yellow eyes were gazing at me from across the road it was absolutely horrifying as it was ripping this pigeon apart I thought it was a cat at first, this puff of feathers that just exploded in front of me. But uh, what we're going to be doing, basically, on the 21st of September, on the Wednesday, we're going to be going down to Tambo Conservation Reserve and planting vital habitat for a number of small birds and marsupials, the prey of the collared sparrowhawk, basically. And uh, there'll be marshmallows, myself. And as you can imagine, I love bones. I can be pretty morbid at the best of times. I like dead things because I like to understand how things work from the inside out. So there'll be lots of skulls and bones. And I'm also going to be having a mini beast zone where I'll be sampling the creek for macro invertebrates as well, which will be really fun. Super cool. And can we give a super quick plug to your event on the 22nd of September? Because you've got three in a row here by the, by the sound yeah. of it. Can you imagine how exhausted I'm going to be? You know, I'll sleep when I die, basically. <laughs> and who needs to sleep anyway? This okay, is, we'll and- fossilize you forever. <laughs> I would actually love that if, you know, they they try to reconstruct my face. Actually, there's a very funny thing in the media at the moment. Somebody who died like a thousand years ago, they reconstructed the face of this peasant and uh, everyone's giving, uh, mocking him for having such an ugly face in the facial A bit rude. (laughs) It's very rude, but it's quite funny on social media at the moment. Uh, But the third is is an event in Bayside, sponsored by Bayside Gallery and Bayside City Council. And in this event, I will be discussing the deadliest ocean of all time with predators like the megalodon and the macroraptorial sperm whales. We didn't even talk about them. So much to talk about. I'll also be bringing a smattering of five million-year-old fossils from Bayside that are changing the way we view evolution in entire groups of animals. And if you live along Port Phillip Bay and you're interested, this event will sell out. 
I mean, there's been huge interest already, so already get on it. Thursday, the 22nd of September, 2.30 till 3.30 at Bayside Gallery. And if you want to check out any of these events at all, all you've got to do is go to my Instagram, type in A underscore fools underscore experiments, and you can check them all out. Or you can go to the Radio Marinara Facebook page and link through. <laughs> Woohoo! We'll put all you those links there. You can do that there. too, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> ben, always a pleasure. Always, uh, always sad to have to move on, which we will do. But um, I'm going to contact you and let's get you in more regularly because, there, as you said, there's so much to talk about. I mean, there's a whole segment on the Demon Ducks of Doom alone. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the thing that I really want to talk about next are Beaked Whales. They're so, so cool. And we keep on finding segments of this Beaked Whale. Over a period of 40 years, we found more and more segments in Bayside that actually clock on to one another. It's absolutely mind-blowing. And it's one part of the talk that I'll be discussing in the Bayside Gallery events as well. Yeah, cool. All right, October. Beaked Whales, November, Demon Ducks of Doom. <laughs> it's all it over in. the place. No, no, this is September. Uh, they're all September 20th, 21st, and 22nd. Yep. So September 20th, the demise of the Australian megafauna, the 21st, the Tambo Tree Planting Day event, and the 22nd, uh, the deadliest ocean of all time, uh, prehistoric Bayside. Come and check it out. It'll be super fun. Sensational. Thank you, Ben. Always a pleasure. We will catch you soon. Thank you so much, guys. Ciao. Bye. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. We're going to talk about seagrasses now. They're the only flowering plants that can live underwater. And not only that, they're considered amongst the most productive ecosystems in the world. So it's not a good thing when seagrass habitats decline um, from a bunch of different potential uh, threats. And humble swan, it turns out, is one of them um, because of the grazing habits that they have. So Caitlin O'Day is a master's student at Edith Cowan University. As part of her master's thesis, she's exploring these and other questions about seagrass decline. So let's cross over to Perth to talk to Caitlin about seagrass and swans and see if we can get some answers. Good morning, Caitlin. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me, Bron and Sam. It's great to have you with us, uh, and thanks for getting up early on a Sunday morning. Um, really, My absolute great, pleasure. <laughs> great paper you've got published here. It's called Increased Extent of Waterfowl Grazing Lengthens Recovery Time of a Colonising Seagrass with Implications for Seagrass Resilience. So our, fo- our show focuses on marine environment. When we think about the sea, we don't tend to think about swans. So I thought maybe we might start with that. What's the connection of swans to the sea? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so... Uh, We find swans in estuary environments typically, so they tend to be shallow and sheltered. And, of course, estuaries are connected to the ocean. It's where the the land meets the sea. Uh, Often they can be quite salty as well, like the marine environment. And so it's in these estuary ecosystems where swan grazing uh, is something that that we see. We've talked a lot about seagrass over the years, though not for quite a long time on this program. Um, Just to set the scene, can you describe seagrasses and particularly the ones that you're looking at in Western Australia and, and how they differ from seaweed and algae? Absolutely. So uh, seagrasses that we find in estuary environments tend to be uh, fairly small and cute, not so much like the um, 
seagrasses that you find out in the ocean. They tend to be a lot larger. Uh, seagrasses and seaweeds are in- entirely different. Uh, seaweeds, they, you know, in terms of evolution, have stayed in the ocean, whereas uh, seagrasses have followed a lot of different evolutionary uh, pathways um, and they kind of followed out with the land plants and then actually returned back into the ocean. So they're much more similar to plants that you find on land than they are to, to seaweeds. Yeah, and they're pretty uh, vulnerable, aren't they? We were talking um, earlier about uh, you know things like climate change, coastal developments, runoff, um, all sorts of uh, factors that lead to a decline of seagrass as a habitat. But the swans, it turns out, are a bit of a big deal as well. Um, what is the impact of swans on seagrass? Do they actually eat the seagrasses or is it more about sort of foraging amongst the seagrass for other sources of, of their food? They actually eat the seagrasses themselves. So the swans can reach down um, in water to about a metre deep and they can they rip out the seagrass and they eat it. Um, sometimes, in some areas they've been seen to consume up to 25% of daily seagrass production. Um, so the, they can have fairly substantial impacts uh, on seagrass habitat. So let's go to your experiments. What did you look, sure. to, look to do? Because this is part of your master's thesis. How did you set up your experiments? What were you looking to find out? So we had um, an experiment that we conducted in the the Swan River here in Perth. That's uh, the the main estuary that we have running across the city. Um, And we set up uh, an experiment across four locations in that area. And what we did is we set up these exclusion I guess, structures that were to keep the swans out of my experimental area. And within that area, uh, we simulated grazing. And what this what this means is that, you know, we, we didn't capture swans and, you know, force feed them seagrasses. I you know, put on my wetsuit and tried my best swan impersonation and I you know, simulated grazing on the seagrasses. And in that way, we could control, you know, how much uh, seagrass we were removing from the area. And is that, so is we that, when to, you, what, sorry, when you're saying, uh, simulating grazing do you mean like you know ripping it out by the roots or or chopping it off by the stems like how do the swans impact exactly on the seagrass uh, what we've found is that um what other people have found is that the the swans can graze in two different ways there's um, kind of like more the clipping where they're just eating the leaves, but there's also the the foraging where they're actually ripping out the whole plants and they they can leave these big kind of bare sandy patches within the meadow. So they you know, reach their long necks down into the water and they rip up all of the seagrass. Leaves, roots, rhizomes, the lot. We've got about a minute left, uh, Caitlin. I'm, we can <laughs> sure. quickly get to the results. What did you find? And what we found, it's really profound, is that, you know, the more seagrass that gets consumed, the longer it takes to recover. So it's kind of exactly what you'd expect. But what we also found is that the more intense the disturbance was, uh, the more variable the, I guess, recovery time of the seagrass was across the estuary. Uh, And that was really interesting. Um, What that really told us as well is that, um, you know, the, the meadows that are left and remaining in the in the estuary, they are really important to providing uh, recovery uh, of areas and that some meadows may be more resilient than others. Let's pick this up down the track because we're out of time and there's so many more questions I have and I'm assuming you've got some follow-up experiments to this one as well. So uh, I'll I'll get in touch with you, Caitlin, and let's organise another time in the next few weeks we can pick up uh, where we're about to leave off. All right, that would be wonderful, Bron. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, absolute pleasure. We'll speak with you soon. Bye for now. 
Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.